Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and I am back today with a very Georgia Bulldog-centric preview of this week's NFL Draft, which kicks off with the first round coverage on Thursday night. And if you've been following like even the slightest bit of pre-draft coverage leading up to this week's draft, you know this draft is set up to be another case of dog domination, just like the 2021 regular season, just like the college playoffs, just like the NFL Combine, the stage is set for more dog domination in Las Vegas later on this week. And that's what we are here to talk about in preview today. Now, originally, the plan was Curtis and I were going to come on here. We're going to break things down. We were going to discuss this together. And we had that all planned out. But Curtis is in the midst of his very last series of law school final exams. He thought he was ready for this last one, but he he just needed a little more time to study, which... Hey, it's all good, man. That's got to be his priority right now. Totally 1,000% get that. But that did leave us scrambling here a little bit on the show. So what I'm going to do here at the last second, just kind of shift gears a little bit. Instead of going the direction Curtis and I were going to go with the, the outline, the agenda that we had set up, the things we talked about, I'm just going to let your questions guide the show today, which really was kind of what we were doing Anyway, in the first place, like I, we got a bunch of questions about the NFL draft, and I kind of just took those and was using those to drive Curtis and I's discussion anyway. We were going to use those in the first place, just maybe not as directly. So without Curtis here on the show, I figured, what the heck, let's just go ahead, go back to the source, and let's answer your questions directly as they pertain to this week's NFL draft. So let's kick it off here from the top. I think this is the right place to start here because we're talking about a potential number one overall pick in the NFL draft. Of course, I'm talking about Trayvon Walker here. And Glenn kicks things off by asking about Trayvon. He says, Trayvon Walker has flown up draft boards and is now being projected as the number one overall pick in the NFL draft by some of the draft analysts. As someone who has watched Trayvon closely over the last three years playing for Georgia, would you take him with the number one overall pick in the draft if you were an NFL GM? That's a great question, Glenn. I really appreciate it. In fact, I I think this is the right question. I think this is the question of the draft 
heading into Thursday, who is going to go number one overall? For a long time, before really the pre-draft process kicked off, the consensus favorite was Michigan's Aiden Hutchinson, right? Had a killer season. What do you have, like 14 sacks, 19 tackles for loss, a couple of forced fumbles through the season. He had one hell of a season. In fact, it was such a great season, he finished as the runner-up in the voting for the Heisman Trophy. Now, if you ask me, that was a little ridiculous. Will Anderson was clearly the better player between him and Aiden Hutchinson. In fact, if Will Anderson was in this draft from Alabama, I mean, I hate to say it, but I'm just trying to be objective here. I think Will Anderson would go number one overall if he was in this draft. But Will Anderson was a sophomore last year, as scary as that is to think. So he is not eligible for this year's draft. So Aiden Hutchinson for a long time was that guy. But you're right. You're right, Glenn. Trayvon Walker, who started the pre-draft process, probably is like a late first round guy, early second round guy. But he has flown up the draft boards, and that has to do in large measure because of his just insane performance at the NFL Combine, where he just blew everyone away. We're talking about a guy that's 6'5", 275, and ran a 4-5-1 40-yard dash. I wasn't like crazy shocked by that. I'm not going to sit here and say like I wasn't at least slightly surprised by a 4-5-1. I thought Trayvon would run in the mid to high 4-5s. I didn't see him pushing like borderline 4-4 type stuff. I didn't see that, but I wasn't like blown away because you're right, Glenn. I run a Georgia podcast. I Not only do I watch every game, I go back and watch them with a fine-tooth comb. I spend the entire offseason going back and watching games in previous years, watch them all multiple times. I watch the, the games in the current season multiple times throughout the week to go back and make sure we're giving you guys the most accurate, detailed content that we possibly can. So I don't want to say that I've watched Trayvon closer than anyone because that's an exaggeration. Obviously, our coaches watch him closer than anyone. And there's a lot of people that cover the program. And obviously, the NFL draft analyst the guys who do this, the GMs, when you get into the pre-draft process, they pour over the tape because that's their job. And that's all they have to do is to watch the tape of all these different guys. So I know there's people out there that have watched him more than me, but I feel like I've watched a fair amount of Trayvon Walker. I, I definitely agree with you there, Glenn. And in those years watching Trayvon develop, I, I remember, guys, remember back to, was it 2019, that sack against Auburn in Jordan Hare late in the fourth quarter to seal that game? Yeah, let's not forget, that was Trayvon Walker. And that was kind of the first time we saw Trayvon make that impact type play, and we saw the athleticism on full display. We got, that freshman year, we got like tantalizing little glimpses of what Trayvon could be, but he wasn't polished, and he wasn't ready to be that guy yet. We saw more of it last year, and then this year, boom, this guy was a monster from day one. Everybody wanted to talk about Jordan Davis, and I spent a lot of time talking about Jordan Davis, and he was the key to our defense and being able to stop the run with even numbers in the box. Everyone was talking about Nicobe Dean, who was fantastic for us, but Trayvon all year long was the best player on the defense that no one talked about. And I, I, do, I don't believe it's a stretch to say Trayvon was, at the very least, the most talented player on an extraordinarily talented defense. Maybe you could argue Jalen Carter, who's still on the team, could also fit that bill. I don't think that was a stretch, and I don't think it's a stretch if you wanted to make the argument. I wouldn't really have a major issue with it if you made the argument that he was the best player in the defense. I would argue that N'Kobe Dean played the highest level throughout the season all year for us last year, but he clearly was just not as talented from a physical standpoint as Trayvon. I mean, a guy 6'5", again, 6'5", 275, running a borderline 4'4", 40-yard dash. And if it was, but those numbers don't really tell the full story. 
Trayvon plays with an incredibly high motor and the explosiveness off the ball is off the charts. He's got the strength to go with it. He's got the size, the strength, the speed, the explosiveness. And I knew that going into the pre-draft process, going into the NFL combine. In fact, he was probably of all the guys, he was the one I was most anxious to see perform at the combine because I just want to see how much he was going to blow up. Because I knew that this guy was going to put up massive numbers. I didn't know exactly what they were going to be. I, but I knew they were going to be really good. And I knew he was going to surprise some people. And I figured he'd help himself and make some money and move up draft boards during the pre-draft process. Now, did I see him, did I see him moving up all the way to like in the conversation as the number one overall pick? I'm not going to lie to you guys. I didn't see that. But I, I thought he could put himself into contention for like a top 10 pick, which no one was really talking about Trayvon in, in those kind of terms prior to the NFL Combine. But lo and behold, NFL Combine hits, he blows everyone away. And now it's like, yeah, he's a shoe-in for top 10, but are we talking top five? Or we've been talking like the number one overall pick? And that steam has picked up over the past couple of weeks. Now, there, there is still some disagreement there on who that's going to be. You're right, Glenn. There are people out there, some, some of these analysts that are saying that he's going to be the number one overall pick. They are projecting that. But then I think I saw Mel Kuyper's final projections earlier this week. I think he still had Aiden Hutchinson at number one. He had He's lower on Trayvon than a lot of these guys. I think he had him barely inside the top 10. Yeah, I'm mean, looking at it right here. Number three, in his most recent, at least the most recent projection from Mel Kuyper that I can find, he has him go number three overall to Houston, but he has him like just inside the top 10 in his overall big board. It's like his ranking of the process. I think he had him at number nine. He had Aiden Hutchinson at number one. And, and look, Mel Kuyper's just one guy. There's a lot of different people out there. But yes, I think he's a consensus top three guy. I think most analysts out there have him going in the top two. And there are a fair number of them that have him going number one overall. But let's get to the heart of Glenn's question here. Would I, if I'm an NFL GM, would I take Trayvon number one overall? Now, this is a loaded question because obviously as the host of a Georgia podcast, I'm kind of expected to say, oh yeah, definitely. I'd take a number one overall. He's a Georgia guy. Got to. Do I lose credibility if I don't say yes? Uh, but I got to be honest with you guys here. Now, first off, let me say it, it does depend on the team. The context matters. What are your needs? But if, you, if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, I mean, they, other than quarterback, they need basically everything. And pass rusher is certainly one of those guys. They need an edge rusher. So I think the question comes down for Jacksonville here. Who do they prefer? Do they prefer Aiden Hutchinson or do they prefer Trayvon Walker? And it's really difficult to compare the two. They both put up good numbers at the NFL Combine. You know, we know that, as I mentioned, Trayvon put up a 4-5-1 40-yard dash. Hutchinson doesn't have the that level of explosiveness. He had a 4-7-4 40-yard dash. Had a good solid vertical jump. Was Did not have as good of a broad jump. I think his was like 117. Trayvon's was 123. 20-yard um, shuttle Hutchinson, I think, was a little bit faster than Trayvon, although he's also about 15 to 20 pounds lighter than Trayvon is. So you'd have to factor that in as well. So measurables, it's pretty clear the answer is Trayvon Walker production in college, at least in terms of sacks and the things that people keep track of from a statistical standpoint, sacks, tackles for loss, force fumbles, those kind of things. I mean, you got to be honest, Aiden Hutchinson gets the nod there. He had 14 sacks to Trayvon six and a half last year. He doubled him up, more than doubled Trayvon up in the sack department. And what are pass rushers supposed to do? Yeah, they're supposed to affect the quarterback and rack up sacks. But looking at the raw numbers in of themselves, I, I don't believe that tells the whole story because they played in different defenses. They were asked to do different things. Trayvon played the five tech defensive end for us, guys. You guys watch our team just like I do. You know that is not a glamour position 
inside the Kirby Smart defense, whether it's Jonathan Ledbetter, whether it's Malik Caring, whether it's Trayvon Walker. That is not a glamour position for the Georgia defense. They're asked to do a lot of the dirty work. You're setting the edge a lot. You're playing the run. And sure, there are times when it's obvious passing downs that you are set free to rush the passer. We would move Trayvon around. We'd have him stand up sometimes. We'd have his hand in the dirt sometimes. We'd have him inside as a zero tech, as a one tech, as a three tech, a five tech, a seven tech at times. We moved him around because he had that kind of athleticism and that kind of versatility. But typically that was done on third downs in our dime package when it was an obvious passing down. Those are really the only instances where he was truly turned loose to rush the passer. Whereas Michigan turned Aiden Hutchinson loose to rush the passer far more regularly than we did Trayvon. So he just simply had more pass rush opportunities. I might also give Aiden Hutchinson the edge in terms of a a polished standpoint. I think he's more of a polished pass rusher, again, because that was the name of the game for him at Michigan. That's what he was asked to do. That was what he was expected to do. Now, he played the run fairly well uh, along with that, but let's make no bones about it. He was a pass rusher. That's what he was there to do, was direct game plans by affecting the quarterback. Trayvon, that was a part of what he was asked to do in certain situations, but he was asked to do far more than that, and that was not really like his primary focus. He wasn't a primary pass rusher. So if you're going by production, if you're going by like who's most polished at that position as a pass rusher right now, I think you give the nod to Aiden Hutchinson. I think that's certainly fair. But you guys know how NFL GMs work. They see stars in their eyes when they see a guy with the potential, the ceiling of Trayvon Walker, his upside, that buzzword, right? Ceiling, upside, potential, all those buzzwords that just dazzle NFL GMs. And don't get me wrong, they dazzle me too. I think long-term, the upside for Trayvon as a pass rusher is a fair amount greater than Aiden Hutchinson. I I really do believe that. The issue for Trayvon is that, as I said, he's going to need some polish, some developing as like a primary pass rusher, if that's indeed what you choose to use him as. I would say this too. If you don't choose to use Trayvon as a primary pass rusher, I don't think you can use the number one overall pick on him. And I know he's versatile and you can move him around and do different things, but if he's going to play a, a, a 3-4, 5 tech defensive end for an NFL team like he did for us, I don't think the value at that position warrants taking him number one overall. But if you put him in a 4-3 system where he is a primary edge rusher and you believe he can flourish in that role... I do believe if he polishes his game up and develops there, give him a year or two, that his ceiling, his upside, his potential is greater than that of Aiden Hutchinson. So if I'm the Jaguars and I'm their GM, I do take Trayvon Walker number one overall because of that ceiling, because of that upside. And here's the thing. I also know what kind of guy Trayvon is. This is a fantastic young man. He's a guy that's down to business. He works hard behind the scenes, humble guy, all of those things. I've never heard anyone around the program say anything negative about Trayvon. They all rave about him. And that's not just when he was getting number one overall pick love. His entire career, Trayvon is a guy that people love and they respect him. So he's not one of those guys that has a high level potential, but doesn't have like the mental capacity or the fortitude to actually do the work to reach that potential. I believe in Trayvon in that regard. He has all the physical tools, every physical tool you can imagine. I think he has it above the shoulders. So I think that even if he might be a step behind in terms of his development as a true pass rusher and his polish as a pass rusher, I believe Trayvon is the kind of player, the kind of young man who will do everything within his power to to develop. 
and reach that potential. So I would take him because he has the higher upside. And look, the Jaguars, like context matters here. They're not like one player away, like one pass rusher away from contending. They have a lot of work to do. So I believe the Jaguars are looking more down the road. They're not looking to contend next year. They have time to allow him to grow and develop and become that guy and get closer to reaching that potential, reaching that ceiling. So yeah, call me a homer if you want. That's fine. I get it. People want to do that. That's cool. Whatever. But I truly would, if I'm the GM for the Jacksonville Jaguars, I would take Trayvon Walker, number one overall in this year's NFL draft. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, so I spent a good amount of time breaking down that very first question because, again, we're talking about the potential number one overall pick in the NFL draft. But we got a lot more prospects to talk about, so let's move on. And we've got a great question from Lance. I appreciate it, Lance. Lance wants to ask about N'Kobe Dean. He says, N'Kobe Dean was the star of a star-studded Georgia defense, but he has fallen down draft boards during the pre-draft process. Why do you think that is? Good question, Lance. I think the answer is pretty simple here for N'Kobe. It's like the inverse of Trayvon. Trayvon blew everyone away with his measurables at the NFL Combine, whereas N'Kobe did not. N'Kobe, as far as I know, unless he's worked out privately for teams, has still not run a 40-yard dash publicly. He did not run at the NFL Draft Combine. He was slated to run at our Pro Day in Athens in more favorable conditions, but he came up with an injury a little bit before that and didn't run in Athens. And there were always questions about like, what would he run and what would his measurables be? And he simply did not get an opportunity to answer those questions definitively. Those questions still still persist. They still linger. And on top of that, N'Kobe's already a, a smaller guy. We know that. We're talking about a guy that's under six foot, about 225, 230 pounds. And he played very, very well for us, but the measurables just aren't there. In the NFL... I mean, let's be honest, they're pretty hyper-focused on measurables. And in that world, N'Kobe doesn't quite measure up the way he did in college. In college, it's important, don't get me wrong, it's important, but it's not necessarily as important, especially when you're surrounded by a bunch of talented players around you and you're just that much better than the guys lining up against you on the offensive side of the ball. 
Here's another thing that I would throw in with Nicobe Dean. And I love Nicobe. I absolutely love him. A, just a, an incredible young man, incredible leader. And I wish the absolute best for him. But if I'm an NFL GM and I'm considering drafting him, one thing you also have to consider is the scheme he played in, again, the personnel around him. Jordan Davis eating up space in the middle of our defense really freed up not just Nicobe, but all of our inside linebackers to run around and do what they do best, make plays sideline to sideline all over the field. In the absence of a player the likes of Jordan Davis, which those kind of guys are really hard to find, if your defense doesn't have a guy like that, is Nicobe going to be as effective in the middle of your defense? Is he going to be able to stack and shed blockers? Is he going to be able to do that consistently? Because he's not a big guy. What kind of scheme do you run? Are you running a 3-4? Are you running a 4-3? All those things matter. So I'm not altogether surprised that Nicobe has dropped a little bit on some of the draft boards and the regard in which he has held has has been reduced a, a fair amount here. I'm not surprised at all. I mean, I was one of those guys that told you in the offseason, I thought there was a chance. So don't be shocked that if Quay Walker rises up the draft boards and potentially gets drafted in the first round, maybe even potentially ahead of Nicobe Dean because he has the size, he has the measurables in a way that Nicobe does not. But here's what Nicobe does have. Nicobe has the tape, man. Just go to the tape and Nicobe instinctively doing the small things that nobody notices that inside linebackers have to do. He does those. He does them in spades. He's incredibly instinctive. He is incredibly smart. Very smart. I mean, he was a valedictorian. Let's not forget this guy's valedictorian of his high school in Mississippi. It's a very, very, very bright young man. So he's instinctive. He understands defenses. He understands coverage. Not only does he understand what he's supposed to do, he understands what the rest of the players on the defense are supposed to do, which is what a middle linebacker, an inside linebacker, a leader of a defense needs to be able to do. He reads plays. He recognizes all of those things are elite for N'Kobe Dean. So I think in a, in, in, a, in a big way, those skills, what he's got above the shoulders, that helps him negate some of his size and measurable deficiencies because he's just elite there. So I certainly would not be shy about drafting N'Kobe Dean in the first round because I always go back to, I mean, measurables are fantastic, but watch the tape. The tape speaks for itself. N'Kobe Dean is an elite inside linebacker, and I think he's going to play in the NFL for a long time. But speaking of inside linebackers, let's stick with that theme for the next question here. Steven has a question about all three of our inside linebackers from last year. He says, Dean, Walker, Tyndall, where do you think they get drafted? In what order would you draft them in? That's a popular question to pose when you're talking about the NFL draft. If you were the GM, what would you do? I don't know, man. I mean, they watch a lot more of this tape than I do, and then they have a lot more time to spend on it. But I will humor the question anyway. I appreciate it. So what order do I think they're going to get drafted in? Well, if you go off like the pre-draft projections here, it still appears that Nicobe Dean is going to go in the middle of the first round somewhere. So he'll be the first one taken. Quay Walker, there's been some smoke about him moving up potentially in the late first round, early second round, but I still see right now Nicobe getting the nod above Quay Walker. And Chang Tindall, he's actually risen a lot. I mean, as much as Trayvon helped himself out, Chang Tindall did not necessarily move into the first round, but moved himself up maybe like a couple of rounds with his performance at the NFL Combine where he just absolutely wowed people putting up a 4-4-7-40-yard dash in a 6-foot-2, 230, 235-pound frame. In terms of measurables, 
Channing is probably the most athletic of those three. And that's not surprising to any of us. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You watched the guy play. Running in a straight line, Channing Tindall's faster than Kobe Dean. He's faster than Quay Walker. He was faster than maybe anybody on our entire defense in a straight line. Like like see ball, get ball, running you down. Chain Tindall was elite. I mean, flat out elite at that. I do think he was a little stiff at times, but I mean, with the athlete, the athleticism, the speed, it flat out speaks for itself. Where Channing Tindall falls a little short compared to guys like Quay Walker and Kobe Dean is doing the things that inside linebackers have to do. I just went over how much I respect Kobe Dean's ability, his skills, like playing inside linebacker, reading, recognition, instincts, all those things. Channing Tindall is not elite there. Let's just say that. He's not bad there. He's just not as good as N'Kobe Dean and Quay Walker in that regard. There are plenty of times last year where he was just a step slow. Now, he was able to make up for it most of the time because of, of that speed, if you're talk, especially if you're talking running sideline to sideline, you can make up for it, you can compensate for it. But if you're talking about a play that's running off tackle and a split-second hesitation can be the difference between you making the play in the hole and, and then making the play five, six, seven yards down the field, there were too many instances where he just couldn't read, couldn't recognize quickly enough. And I'm not saying he couldn't do it. It just took him an extra second, an extra beat. And in terms of the NFL, the elite athletes that you're going against, that can get you beat. That's not something that you want to see. There's just a little too much hesitation in his game for me that I saw. But again, in college, he was able to make up for it, mask it to a large degree because he just was so athletic, so fast, it can just cover so much ground and make up for it that most people didn't really pay that much attention to it, didn't really see it. When you go back and actually watch the tape, you're like, oh, he totally missed this read. But hey, he's a great athlete, so he made up for it. Now, as for Quay, as I said a minute ago, you guys know I love Quay Walker. I, I was on record in the offseason saying I thought he could be a guy that works himself into first-round draft pick conversation. I still believe that. Now, most analysts still have him going high in the early second round. They don't have him sneaking in the first round. I would not be shocked, however, if there's one NFL team out there that is willing to take a flyer on him maybe late in the first round. It wouldn't shock me. I'm not going to project that right now. I don't know. Again, most analysts are not projecting that, but I think Quay has a lot of things going for him. Number one, he is a huge inside linebacker. And I think that's important in the NFL when you're going against elite offensive linemen, big, strong dudes, right, who do this for a living. 6'4", 240, 245, in that range. And no, he wasn't quite as fast as Channing Tindall, but a 4'5'2", and a 6'4", 241-pound frame, a 122 broad jump. Let's make no mistake about it. Quay Walker is an elite athlete in his own right especially when you factor in the frame in which he's working, the link that he has. I also think he has great pass rushing ability. And look, we know Channing Tindall has great pass rushing ability. If we use Channing Tindall all throughout the season as a primary pass rusher, he might have led the SEC in sacks. Now, I know Will Anderson was there, and, and that would be a, a, a tough road to hoe there, surpassing Will Anderson in sacks. But he would have been up there in that conversation. I, I truly believe that because he's just, you know, you guys saw him just shot out of a cannon, just the speed, the athleticism. Teams couldn't handle it. If we would have used him more, he could have potentially become a, a dominant pass rusher. But Quay, I think, is a more polished, actual like pass rusher. He's had to do that a lot in high school. Channing relies primarily on just pure speed athleticism, which is fine 
as a pass rusher, but it wasn't like he was a super polished guy that was that had like a, a wealth of moves in his repertoire to be able to beat offensive tackles. No, like we just we moved him around and we used him from different angles. We used a bunch of twists and stunts and we got him one-on-one a lot and he just used his superior athleticism and speed to get past guys but hey that's fine too however you do it you do it but I think Quay might not be as explosive as Shane Tindall but I think he is a more polished pass rusher he's more instinctive I think he's better in coverage so I would take Quay Walker ahead of Shane Tindall now here's where I might get a little controversial I just a few minutes ago I just got done going over how much I love N'Kobe Dean and how much I respect his game as an inside linebacker. But I could say a lot of the same things about Quay Walker in terms of his reading, his recognition, his instincts. He really improved in that regard over the course of his time in Athens. He really, really did. He didn't come in right away as that guy. He wasn't ready because he didn't really play inside in high school. It took him a year, but once he got it down, Quay Walker became a beast force. And Quay Walker was flat out awesome this year. He kind of got lost in the shuffle at times. Talking about Jordan Davis and Trayvon Walker and Nicobe Dean, all these guys you're talking about. And I think Quay Walker you know, just kind of got lost in the shuffle there. And that's a shame because he had a fantastic year for us. And I would take him number one, I would take him ahead of those other two linebackers because he does a lot of the same things Nicobe does from like an instinctual standpoint, just understanding how to play inside linebacker. He's bigger than Nicobe. He's faster than Nakobe. He's stronger than Nakobe. I would go Quay Walker over those other two if I were an NFL GM. And maybe that's me reaching. Maybe that's a little bit of confirmation bias, but I'm trying to look at it objectively. I think I would still take Quay Walker. I would take Nakobe number one. Tyndall has the highest upside potentially of all those guys, but I also think he's the biggest risk because, as I said earlier, I don't think he knows how to play that position as well as the other two. Although he does have just insane off the charts measurables. But I, yeah, I would go Quay, Nicobe, and Channing. And I certainly, I certainly believe that those three guys will all go in like the top 50 picks in the NFL draft. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. All right, guys, we got a couple more questions here. Let's move off of linebacker. Brandon has an interesting question here. So I guess kind of a two-part question. Brandon asks, who gets taken off the board first? George Pickens or Lewis Seen? Jordan Davis or Devontae White? Very interesting, very interesting. Let's start with the, the first pair you have here, Pickens and Seen. This is an interesting one. This is an interesting one because I mean, obviously they play two different positions. I do think that receiver in the NFL right now with how the offenses have evolved over the years is more of a premium position there's more value there than there is at safety but Lewis seen talk about a guy who helped himself out at the at the NFL combine and you gotta throw Lewis seen in there a freaking 437 437 40 yard dash now again like all these guys I watched Lewis seen play a lot 
I thought very highly of Lewis C. Now, Lewis C. thought he was about 240 pounds back there, the way he just threw his body around, but I always felt he covered a lot of ground. Now, was he the best cover safety? No, he got beat at times, but I, I never thought speed was a problem. And you just watch this guy play safety uh, and play deep safety and, and then close to fill against the run, and you're like, whoa, Lewis is freaking moving. But just like Trayvon, I can't sit here and tell you with a straight face. I saw him posting a 4-3-7. I thought he might run like mid-4-4s. 4-3-7, I mean, that was shocking to me. I mean, I was blown away by that. And he matched up with 36.5 vertical jump, a 133 broad jump. So the measurables are there for Lewis Seen, and I think he helped himself out tremendously. I do believe he moved himself up into the top half of the second round of the NFL draft. And, and I don't know. I mean, again, it depends on the perspective of all these teams and what their needs are. Maybe one team has him higher than the draft boards and others, and they reach and they take him in the first round. But I think he's more of a safer bet for the, the high second round. Now, I think that George Pickens, I know he didn't play it all last year, but I think what we've seen from George Pickens from an athleticism standpoint and a skill standpoint, he's a first-round talent. Now, George, and I, I spent... All offseason last year telling you guys that as talented as I believe George is, as much as I love having him on the team, as much as I love this guy and root for him, he was not a complete receiver. He was a two-route guy for the most part. I mean, he was a go-and-hitch-route kind of guy. That's basically what George was for his first two years in Athens. We didn't really move him around much. He basically played the X position, and we couldn't move him around inside like like. For example, Bama was able to do with Devontae Smith in route to a Heisman Trophy. Now, late in 2020, he started to be able to do more of that. You saw like in the, the Peach Bowl victory over Cincinnati, we moved him inside. And he made some plays in the slot for us. Now, when I saw that, I was like, that's what we got to do. That's what we need George to do. But he just wasn't like a super polished receiver. And I was hoping to see that from him this past season. Unfortunately, we know back in spring practice going into 2021, he tears his ACL and we didn't get a chance to see that. He didn't get a chance to display what I think he was going to display. I think he was ready to break out. Not that people didn't already know who he was, but I think he was ready to take his game to another level and do some things that we hadn't really seen from him. We knew he could make the spectacular plays. That was never in question. From like day one, we knew George could do that. We just needed him to polish up his game. And unfortunately for him, he did not get to showcase that because he was out for the vast majority of the of the regular, I mean, the, basically the entire regular season until we played Georgia Tech, and then he played some in the postseason, of course, as we know. But George had to develop and had to show some things that he didn't get a chance to show, and I, I think NFL GMs might still want to see those things from him on tape. You can run it against air, but can you do it consistently on tape in like the heat of battle against quality opponents? Can you do those things? I think that hurts him to a degree. And here's the other thing with George. It's it's the the antics, man, the immaturity. Now, George is not a bad guy. He's not at all. I mean, again, most of the, almost everyone I've talked to in that, inside the program says he's a great guy. He loves his teammates, loves football, just had some growing up to do. And I do think that George did grow up a fair amount during his time in Athens. But he, he did give the coaches some headaches. You know, that's that's obvious. That that definitely was the case. You know, squirting water bottles on people and throwing Georgia Tech players' heads against walls. Like, we all kind of love that, but it's also like, maybe we should have done that. You know, obviously, we probably didn't really have much of a chance at LSU regardless, but you missed the entire first half of the SEC Championship game because you couldn't control your emotions. Those kind of things concern NFL GMs, especially in the current context with the player conduct policies, all those kind of things. 
Those are headaches that NFL GMs don't want to deal with. Now, I am not saying that George is Antonio Brown. I definitively do not think that he is. But NFL GMs are gun shy because they see cases like Antonio Brown and they're like, we don't want to even remotely entertain anything like that. That's just not something that we want to deal with. There are other players in the draft, other receivers that are comparable to George and maybe don't have some of that immaturity baggage that he's displayed throughout his career. So I think that works against him as well. So even though I think that George is a true first round talent and I would love for him to get taken in the first round, I think that he'll probably be taken somewhere in the middle of the second round for all the reasons I laid out there. So I think Lewis will be taken a little bit before him early in the second round. So right now, I would say I would project Lewis to go maybe a little bit earlier than I would George. And then Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt. And this was, I think this one's clear cut. Jordan Davis. They're different players. We know Jordan's bigger, space eater kind of guy. A very athletic, big space eater. I mean, run a 4'8 at that size at 350 pounds is crazy. Devontae Wyatt is a first-round talent in his own right, but Devontae's got something similar with George. There are questions in his background about his character. Now, I think that's largely overblown. I mean, they're really talking about one instance where he had a blow-up with a girlfriend, didn't strike her, anything like that, but I think he kicked a, punched a door, knocked a door off its hinges, something like that, which is not good. You don't want that to happen. But to take that one instance and say he has character concerns, I do think that's a little bit of a stretch, but they have investigators that do a lot more research into it than I do. But again, I can just tell you what I know from people that tell me things inside the program. They all love Devontae. Devontae is a, a, a big, cuddly teddy bear. Love him, all those kind of things. That's what I've been told about him. So I don't have those concerns, but again, NFL GMs, if there's a guy that's got comparable talent and that doesn't have anything like that in his background, they're going to err on the side of caution there more often than not. So I already think Jordan Davis is going to be the pick ahead of Devontae because of the size, athleticism, combination. But with some of those, again, I hate to even, I'm not going to say character concerns. It's some of the, the things that teams are looking at in his background that might not shed such a positive light on him, I think that makes it a surefire thing that Jordan Davis goes ahead of Devontae Wyatt. But I do think they both end up getting taken in the first round. And next up, let's move to a position that has been insanely devalued over the years to the point now where if I'm a high school football player like and I'm like a really good athlete there is no way in hell you would get me to play running back if my goal is to get to the NFL and make a lot of money and have a nice long career you got to be crazy if you're a really good athlete that's a skill player on offense to want to play running back play receiver play tight end play quarterback play cornerback play safety Play anywhere but running back if you are a skilled player because that has become the most devalued position maybe in all of the NFL. But we have two running backs, two Georgia guys, Zamir White and James Cook, who are both going to be drafted at some point over the weekend in the 2022 NFL Draft. And with that in mind, Will has a question about these two guys. He asks, who gets taken first, Zeus or James Cook? Do either one crack the top 100? Thanks for the question, Will. Really do appreciate it, man. And uh, the first part of this question, I'm going to go James Cook. I think that one's pretty clear to me at this point. Now, as is the case with all these questions, I maybe should have said this out the outset. I am not an NFL guy. I follow the NFL. I wouldn't say I'm a casual NFL fan. I'm more than that. 
but I'm certainly not a hardcore NFL fan. I'm a college guy through and through, a thousand percent. I keep up with pro sports. I'm aware of what's going on in pro sports, but it's not something that I follow with profound interest. And I'm just not a hardcore fan. I'm not. Pro sports just don't really do it for me, whether it's NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball. They just don't do it for me the way that college football and college basketball and college baseball and college tennis and college gymnastics, really any college sport does it for me. It just doesn't. So with that in mind, clearly I am not an expert when it comes to the NFL draft. Again, I follow it enough. I read reports. I watch some coverage now and then about the NFL, about the draft, but I'm not an expert on it. Certainly not. So take what I say about where guys are going to get drafted, please. I'm begging you, take that with a grain of salt because I'm not that guy. I am not an NFL draft analyst. But I do watch enough and know enough to at least give you an educated opinion, and that's what I'm going to do here. Do either one crack the top 100? So you're saying top 100 is like late third round to early, early fourth round? I think there's a an outside shot that James Cook could break the top 100. Again, I think that James Cook's going to be taken before Zeus. The reason I believe that is I think he has more versatility to his game. Their measurables were, were very, very similar. I think James ran like a 4-4-2. Zeus ran a 4-4 flat. Vertical jump was almost identical. I think Cook was 33. And if I remember correctly, Zeus is like 33 and a half. Cook broad jump 124. Zeus 128. So very similar measurables. We know after watching these guys for, for years here in Athens, we know they bring a little bit of a different style to the to the plate. Zeus is more of the power back, physical, hard, downhill runner. I do think he's good in a short area, and he has good long distance speed. He absolutely does. My question with Zeus always, really more than anything, was, was vision. I think he improved on that as the season progressed, which I kind of expected him to, as we said, you know, for the past couple of years, the more reps he got coming back from those injuries, the better that would be. It was kind of a rust thing more than anything and just the, the need to get those reps there. But I do think James can hurt you in more ways. And the NFL, that's what they put a premium on with running backs. They want guys, it's rare to find a guy who's like a true three down running back. But if you have a guy like that, that's a very, very valuable piece to your offense. And I think that James Cook could potentially be that. He's not as big as Zeus. His contact balance is not ideal, but I've always felt that he runs between the tackles better than people give him credit for. And look, there are very few NFL teams out there that feature a downhill power running game. You just don't really see that. Maybe the 49ers-ish last year, the Baltimore Ravens to a degree, but even that's a little bit different with Lamar Jackson as their quarterback. It's more of like a quarterback run-friendly offense. They, they do run, they run the ball in general more than your average NFL team, but you just don't really see that. It's not the rule anymore. At one point in NFL history, back when I was growing up, it kind of was the rule, but it's the exception at this point. So I think what James brings to the table with his ability to hurt you out of the backfield as a receiver, I do think that gives him a leg up on Zeus. I'm not saying that Zeus can't catch the ball, but he just doesn't have those reps. He doesn't have the tape that would suggest that he can do that consistently. So with that in mind, I do give James the edge here, but I don't think the gap is all that significant. I think that they'll get drafted probably pretty closely. I think the safe bet is to say probably early fourth round, but it wouldn't, I wouldn't be altogether like blown away if James Cook goes off the board, like late third round, something like that. There's a team again that just, that has him a little higher on their board. They have a little bit of a need there and they want to go ahead and secure him. They don't have a pick like early in the fourth round. They have a high grade on him and they want to take him before somebody else gets him before they get back around to their next pick. 
I could see maybe a team taking a, a chance on him in the in the late third round. So no, I don't think it's crazy to say he breaks the top 100. But again, if I had to put money on it, I would say they both get drafted slightly after pick number 100. Probably between like 100, 110, 115, somewhere around there. Probably early fourth round is where I put it right now. And that brings us to our final question of the day. Let's wrap it up, put a nice little bow on it here. This question is from Ryan. It is the logical question to end things on today. So Ryan asks, when it's all said and done on Thursday night, how many dogs go in the first round of the draft and how many get drafted overall? And this is a question that I know a lot of Georgia fans will be watching anxiously forward to see how many of our guys go in the first round. I'm excited about it. I want us to break records. I don't think that we will break the first round record, which I believe is six right now. I think Miami at one point, Alabama, each had six players go in the first round once upon a time. I feel very confident that we're going to get four. I think Trayvon Walker, Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, and Nicobe Dean will go in the first round. I feel very confident those four are definitely going the first round. It's hard to say definitely because it's the NFL draft and things happen, but I would say there's a 90 plus percent chance that all four of those guys go in the first round. Then there are a couple guys like in the next tier that I think have a chance to sneak into the first round if a team has a high grade on them. And again, if they're afraid that they have a high grade of this player and they might be willing to reach if they don't think that he'll be around when their next pick rolls around, maybe late in the second round. And those guys would be Quay Walker, inside linebacker, Channing Tindall, inside linebacker, Lewis Seen with his crazy numbers he put up at the NFL Combine as a safety, and George Pickens as well. Now, Pickens has some, I know, like, I don't consider them off-field issues at all. He's never gotten in trouble off the field whatsoever. Never heard a whisper, in fact, about George getting in trouble off the field. It was just like childish immaturity stuff, which, I mean, guys can grow up. When it becomes a job, you, you want to believe they can grow up. And I think George has made strides in that regard anyway. But again, NFL teams are investing a lot of money in these guys, and they don't want to deal with the headaches. They've seen it derail other teams, and they do not want to deal with that. So I think that might play against them a little bit here. I think Quay Walker, if I had to pick of those four guys that just listened to that second tier, Quay Walker, Chain Tindall, Lewis Seen, George Pickens, I might lean towards Quay sneaking in to the very, very late first round. I would say Lewis Seen has the next best chance to sneak in late in the first round. But again, I, I think the odds are those guys go very early in the second round. But it wouldn't surprise me to say like five. I just don't, I don't think I see six. It would be like a perfect storm scenario and take a lot of things going our way to get six guys going the first round to tie that record. But I think four is is a safe number there. I think, and that's that is probably going to be the high point for any single team in the NFL draft, at least in the first round. Now, overall, I mean, let's go through the numbers here. So I just mentioned my first and second tier. I got Trayvon Walker, Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, Nicobe Dean, Quay Walker, Chang Tindall, Lewis Seen, George Pickens. Top two tiers. That's eight guys right there. I think James Cook, Zamir White, I mean, I don't think. Those guys are both going to get drafted. Jamari Salyer will probably get drafted somewhere in the fourth or fifth round. Darion Kendrick will get drafted probably somewhere in the fourth or fifth round. Justin Schaefer, I think, will get drafted in the later rounds. But I think that's probably it. I do not see John Fitzpatrick getting drafted here. So let's add all those up. That's the first two tiers there. That's eight guys. And then Cook, White, Salyer, Kendrick, Schaefer, that's another five. So 13. That's what I, that's the number I put at right now. I think the over-under should be 13 for Georgia right now in the NFL draft in its totality, which if that ends up happening, that would put us one short of the record that LSU set a couple years back 
when they had 14 players overall drafted in the NFL draft. So not too shabby, not the record, but certainly not too shabby at all right there pushing the record. And I would certainly take that. I think that would be an extraordinarily successful weekend for our program that would really paint our program in a positive light. I think that would help us in recruiting, help with the perception of the program. For a while, it was like, well, Georgia's players just aren't getting drafted that high. And that eventually that does come back to hurt you in recruiting. But when you have a class like this that you can point to and say, look, we got all these guys drafted and a ton of these guys had to be developed, especially the guy like Jordan Davis, a three-star prospect, Justin Schaefer, another three-star prospect. I think it's going to be a fantastic first round on Thursday, a great night for the Georgia Bulldogs, and I think the entire NFL draft weekend experience is going to be something to celebrate for our program and for all Georgia fans out there in the Bulldog Nation. So I'm looking forward to it, guys. I really am. Normally, I don't like. I pay attention to the NFL draft. I rarely watch it. I kind of just keep track of it, like on my phone, like, okay, who got drafted? Okay, this guy. But rarely do I sit there and watch the NFL draft coverage. I'll watch some of the first round. If I know one of our guys, if there's the range that he's going to go in, like one through 10, I'll watch that part to see when he gets drafted. But I don't really sit there and just zero in on the entire draft, typically. But I think I might this year. I'm excited about it. I want to see our guys get rewarded. I love these guys that delivered that national title for us. And it's a bunch of really good dudes. And I want to see them have success. I want to see their moment. So I think I'm actually going to tune in. I think I'm probably going to watch the whole thing. I'm excited about it. I hope you guys are too. And then Curtis and I will recap everything that goes down over the weekend for you guys early next week. And hopefully, hopefully Curtis can carve just a little bit of time out for us. I don't know if we'll be done with final exams by then. I think so. I hope so. I don't know. But hopefully he can fit us into into his schedule and uh, we will have all of that covered for you guys. So have a great weekend, guys. Enjoy the NFL draft process. Live it up. Celebrate another weekend of Georgia Bulldog domination. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.